back, Perfect Peeps, to Perfect.dev. Today we are talking all about side project hustle with Brad Garapi. What's up, Brad? Hey, everyone. How's it going? You, Pretty uh, good. It's, it's been a hectic morning. Just a lot of things going on today. Yeah, I feel you. It's, uh, it's coming out of like that turn out of pandemic mode and then everyone's like, oh, I'm just going to get sick normally and like all of this mess and school is ending. And it's like, holy smokes. Yep. And then the beginning of summer too, like you want to yeah. go out and do more things. So you're trying to be more active and yeah, life's getting busy. Yeah. <laughs> all for the good. That's the great part. Absolutely. Uh, so Brad is a lead front-end developer at Adobe. He's a content creator on Twitch and YouTube, a new co-host of Web Dev Weekly Podcast, and a side project connoisseur. So that's the fun part, because we're going to talk all about side projects. Yeah, um, and actually, I used that little phrase, connoisseur, on like the homepage of my website, because I needed a way to say, like, I just do a lot of random things. And so side project connoisseur came out of nowhere, and I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, and that's what we're here for. Side project hustle. I love it. For sure. <laughs> so how did you get your start in web development? Uh, it's it's weird. I don't have a traditional web development background. Um, I was a firmware engineer at Dell for like 10 years. Uh, and towards the end of my time there, I started doing more DevOps with Python. And I had this problem I needed to solve where people were pushing commits and we had our own custom like Git workflow and they needed a way to understand where their commit was in the process. Is it being tested? Is it being staged? All these things. And so I wanted to learn like HTML and CSS to try to find a way to visualize this and generate those, you know, web pages with Python. It was a terrible idea, like terrible execution of the idea, honestly, but that's what kind of lit that, or sparked that fire, you know, where I was like, oh, I can do something that has a URL that I can share and, and copy and paste and people can see it. And so I spent about two years kind of just teaching myself web development mm -hmm. and then trying to find that first job, that first company that would really take me in as a web developer. And Adobe was the one. They saw potential in what I had, you know, created in my portfolio. And they were the ones who kind of took that risk and I think it totally paid off for them and for me because things have been going like really, really great there. So you self-taught yourself. You don't have a traditional computer science background or anything? I'm an electrical engineer by education <laughs> from the University of Texas. And so I took maybe like one programming course. But, you know, like logic uh, is at the core of any engineering degree. So I was able to take that and apply it to, to learning programming. That's awesome. I, I started out in engineering. Did you at least go through like uh, like C or basic or something like that when you were going through school? It was it was Java for us. And yeah. then we did a microcontrollers class, which was also pretty cool. But those were the only two classes that had any kind of programming. Very cool. That's that's awesome that you were able to kind of spin out just out of necessity, basically, and, and you know, realize what you wanted to do next. It's really cool. Yeah. I had a similar experience with HTML and CSS. Once I started building it and saw that I could do these things just by writing something, I could visualize something else. And I, I had that same passionate, like, this is what I want to do. I started with graphic design. And then once I was like, oh, I can build stuff too. It was yeah. just 
incredible and expanded. So did you build side projects to build up your portfolio to get the job at Adobe? You just started building things and build out yeah. your portfolio? It was very much a necessity, right? Because if I had shown only my resume to, to web development companies, they would say, you don't really have a place here. You don't really have a position here because that's not what you do. So I had to kind of make it what I did unofficially. So that's that's where I built my blog. I made a few side projects. And then every interview I went on, uh, they would ask me front-end questions. And so I would take those those questions or challenges and just build them out more fully and put them on my GitHub put them, you know, out there in the open. And so that was how I created like a repertoire of things. What were some of the different projects that you worked on? Like, was there a variety or a certain specific lane that you went down? I was probably all over the place. When I, when I very first started learning web development, I didn't really understand how the browser worked or HTTP requests work. So mm-hmm. the first thing I actually built was a node server. Like, not using Express, just using Node APIs. How how do you handle an incoming HTTP request? So I understood what happened on the other side of the browser. Uh, and so once I kind of understood that life cycle, I was able to, to jump into more things. I think my first legit project was like the blog. You know, you make your personal website. It was uh, Gatsby. I think I did like a Jekyll version of it too, but the blog was the first real thing. And then I did... A couple other just um, front-end only projects, like making cool sliders for, um, you know, like marketing websites or just those interview questions that I got asked that were fairly self-contained, you know, front-end only type um, projects. And so, it's Adobe... been a go ahead. Yeah, I say it's been a minute for me, but uh, you know, kind of going back through that whole like learning javascript thing and and html was that kind of challenging to step into that world especially if you came like out of java and object oriented and things like that yeah like html and css were were pretty easy um Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong there's a level of css there's like a wall you have to break through to actually understand it but you know setting some colors and stuff was no problem (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but like JavaScript was tough for me because I didn't understand where it executed. Uh, it took me a while to actually realize that the browser is an execution environment for JavaScript, and and so is the server. So that's why building that Node server really helped me. Uh, it understood what JavaScript executed where and where HTML was generated. That the difference between you know like client side rendering, mm-hmm. server side rendering, that was like a big hard concept to get around. Um, and then once I kind of finished the, the vanilla JavaScript, I moved into frameworks. And so React was the first thing. And just state-driven UI, the idea of state and how that, you know, it, it, what is it? UI is a function of state. That whole idea took a lot of time to wrap my head around. And now I think it makes sense. It, and it even goes so far as to say your UI is not just a function of state on the client side, it's also a function of state on the server side. And those two states should be managed separately. It, you can just go deeper down that rabbit hole and like make different verticals of the things you need to keep track of in order to generate a web page. I think it, it took me forever just thinking back on like how the 
like cycle works and everyone kept talking about like promises and it wouldn't mm-hmm. run like directly. And I'm like, I, I am so lost. I don't understand what you're saying. Like, why does it not just wait for it to complete? What, what are we like waiting for? What's, what's happening? And once you start to learn like how that actual cycle works and things like that, it, it was pretty cool after that. So um, do you find as though you want to learn more frameworks uh, being somewhat new kind of down that journey still? I, I've built some stuff with Vue and I've built some stuff with Svelte. Um, and then, of course, I've, I've went crazy on the React framework side, you know, whether it be Gatsby or Next or, uh, you know, whatever comes out. Um, once I understood React, it was a whole lot easier to move into things like Vue, things like Svelte. I've never touched Angular, though, to be honest. Um, but I found that Vue was pretty easy. Vue is pretty friendly. Uh, Svelte, on the other hand, while it, it felt a lot like Vue... I thought state management in Svelte was different than the React paradigm. So I actually struggled with that a little bit. But honestly, it was because I probably used Svelte without SvelteKit or Sapper at the time. I was trying to make like a web app with Svelte only because I find that that's the best way for me to learn things. If I learn from the bottom up and I kind of hit those problems where you need to bring in libraries or frameworks, it helps me understand that problem that the thing actually solves. That might be a good transition too, because that's what you built your app Murphy with, right? Or Murph. Yeah. So uh, if you're familiar with like working out or CrossFit or anything, the Murph is this workout that you do in CrossFit every Memorial Day. So actually it it just came up. So every oh, Memorial okay. Day you do, what is it? You run a mile and then you do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and then you run a mile. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I'm tired gotten, just listening to that. I had gotten into that into that uh, workout for a few years in a row, and I needed a better way to track it because when you're like running around and and panting, it, you don't know what set you're on, and you can't count your reps right. Yeah. yeah so so here's Murph. It is it's a it's a Svelte application that's on the Google Play Store. So it's okay. just a a PWA at the end of the day, and you can put it on the Google Play Store, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I started this as like a side project to learn Svelte. And next thing you know, I realized I could actually make it into a thing, charge money for it and put it on the Play Store. And I did it. And it was like such a big learning experience. And it was, you know, definitely difficult at times. That's so incredible that you can just get your feet wet, though, and learning a completely new framework and build something and make money off of it. That's what kind of the joy of like side projects and things like this is, because we can just do all of that stuff. Um, Going back a little bit, though, so doing all of these side projects and getting your job at Adobe, they saw that in you and you kind of fast tracked a little bit to lead front end engineer. Right. So what did they see and what did you do there and how did you make that transition? Uh, it was kind of like a fake it till you make it situation. Like I'm, I'm very, when I get onto a topic that I really like, you know, for instance, programming, when the web development bug hit, I just started consuming everything. It was reading blog posts, listening to podcasts, you know, watching YouTube videos. And it was like this new obsession. So I was very, very up on latest technology. And as soon as I walked in the door at Adobe, I kind of tried to let people know that like I may be new to web development, but I'm not new to engineering. 
uh, and programming. And I do know a lot about what's going on in the web development space. And so I want to share it. And it was, it was literally that act of sharing and jumping onto tasks and saying, ooh, I know a technology or a thing that can handle the problem we're trying to solve that put me in a spot where people just tended to look at me when they needed a problem solved. And so because of that, I, I wound up with a promotion pretty early on, like only after a year being there. Uh, that just kind of recognized that, hey, Brad's like a, a go-getter or like a, a guy who can get things done. That's fantastic that they recognize that and saw that learning in you. I love that's kind of the aspect of learning in public, too, is like if you put stuff out there, like people are going to recognize you for that. It's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Then that benefit goes so many ways. Like when you're learning in public, you can also ask for help if you don't know something or need assistance. At the same time, you can teach people. And at the same time, you kind of get recognized as knowing what you're talking about just because you talk about it. Yeah, exactly. How do you find like, I guess, maybe motivations, the wrong word, right word, but like to go to the next thing, to learn the next thing? Is it just you hear about something, you get excited. And so like all of a sudden a side project comes out of it. Yeah, I always say when I want to learn something new, I need to have a purpose for it. So I wouldn't have just sat down and like learned Svelte just to learn Svelte. I I had this idea for an app and I said, oh, this is a chance to learn something new. Um, I I do kind of have a hard time just saying I'm going to learn the next thing because it's the next thing. I'm kind of in one of those lulls right now, to be honest, where, you know, other parts of life or other projects are you know, taking a lot of my time. And so I'm not learning a whole bunch of new stuff. But uh, one thing I did learn recently was Vite, or I kind of like compared the the new bundlers and build tools like ES Build, Vite, and Snowpack, and I compared them against Webpack. And it's not a huge thing to learn, but it was like small enough in scope where I was like, I can bite off that amount to chew. I had to spin up like this quick template repo and I realized it was slow uh, to build. And so I just swapped out the bundler and that was my little foray into like the next thing to learn. Yeah, that's how you stay current too as a developer now. I mean, everything changes so fast and everybody's jumping on the the like, snowpack train. So, I mean, you, you're kind of moving in the right direction and you just take yeah. those small steps along the way when you can. Yeah. And Scott and Wes say this on syntax. They're like, if you hear us mention something four or five times, then you go jump on it. You know, there's been enough buzz around ES module first build tools that it's time to take a look and hold. They're fast. Holy cow. They're fast. (laughs) Let me tell you. I I know um, kind of talking about some of your side projects and and what you're focused on. It's a good segue to maybe chat a minute about why you decided to get into podcasting. Um, so you, you have your new podcast, web dev weekly, what are you guys covering on there and and why did you start it? Uh, web dev weekly kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, I had a goal this year to start a podcast, but I didn't know with who or what it was going to be. If it was just going to be me solo, if it was going to be me interviewing guests, but after I started tweeting about it a little bit and kind of dropping hints that I wanted to do one, um, somebody on Twitter approached me and uh, this was Richard Gottlieber and he and I just kind of started chatting and said, you know what, let's, let's try this. We'll, we'll get to know each other. We'll come up with a brand. 
We'll try to record one or two, see how it goes. And right now we've got what, four or five episodes out. Um, We release on Fridays. So streaming is all about your personality is today's episode. And we have like 10 or 12 more in the backlog that we've already recorded and we're going strong. So it it just kind of fell into place. Now, why I wanted to make a podcast, to be honest, I wanted to talk about web development more. You know, I think it's fun and I like meeting people in the community. And I also want to use it as a vehicle to get people I look up to or aspire to, to like, come on and say hi and have that official introduction. And I get to pick their brain for 30 minutes or an hour. Like, it's a perfect excuse to do that. I, I feel the exact same way about this. It's been just an amazing experience, just who you get to meet and talk to and listen to. Even if no one listened to the podcast, I get that experience and I'm passionate about like talking and hearing about it. So yeah, I completely understand. Absolutely. Y'all have had some like A plus guests for sure. So apparently social media helped you like get your help. Has it helped you also in your career and going along obviously with the podcast but with other things too social media has been like just really really positive for me uh especially twitter especially web development twitter and then also discord has been really good um i actually there's that whole sphere you know like you learn about somebody on twitter you see their stream on twitch you join their discord and it's like this circle that that never ends and and keeps growing yeah it does yeah um, so like there's so many people that I've met online. I mean, on Brittany, you're one of them. Uh, James quick. I met strictly online, you know, now by extension, you know, Alex, we've been meeting for the first time. And so you just meet a lot of friends and recently there has been some cool opportunities come up on Twitter, uh, you know, possible job opportunities or people to meet or, or people to talk to about, you know, next steps and, I think that's exactly what I wanted to use it for. You know, if you if you teach enough on there and if you interact enough on there, it'll naturally show you the next step in your career just based mm-hmm. on the, the people you talk to and the opportunities that are presented. And I'm starting to kind of come around to the idea of that I should take opportunities when I see them. That job at Dell that I talked about, I was there for almost 10 years. And that was my first job out of college. And so I'm, I'm starting to learn that I was way too long of a stint at one company. And I want to be cognizant of opportunities and networking that present itself to me. And not get complacent. Totally. Yeah. And, and it was towards the end of Dell where I was like, I need to learn something. I need to do something. I got that itch to like, just do more. And it really opened that door. Uh, and oh, Adobe really? just helped me like, walk in and flourish which is really cool yeah i really like what you said about opportunities too i feel like if you take opportunities where you can and make sure that you're doing them for the right reasons but i feel like you can have chances that you might not have get gotten before and you never know who you're going to meet and what opportunity that is going to become like through james like just being on discord and meeting so many people i've met james and scott Blinsky and like several people that i never would have contacted never would have talked to or communicated with and now i feel like they're friends like i can just talk to them and i mean they, they are they're normal people <laughs> but i still feel like it's 
it's a special thing how you can meet people and just grow and connect with so many different people from all over the world. Totally. So we were kind of talking a little bit about like your social growth and, and getting into that. But I, I think what that always speaks to is just community. And I think you said it well, like when we, when we talk about all these different people that you start to meet and you realize like we're all just normal people and we're trying our best and, you know, next one up to, to learn, we're, we're there for you. And uh, it's, it's always been a very welcoming community in my experience. Has that, has that kind of been your experience, Brad, of kind of coming into it later in your or middle of your career? Yeah, I, I really haven't had any bad interactions. Uh, it's been really great. Uh, and I, I will say, you know, you're saying once you establish your community, I got to say, I'm like, I have a very small following, you know, not a lot of people follow me. Uh, James Quick always says, Brad's like, Brad's like the guy who does awesome stuff that nobody knows about. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to keep pushing you out there. Be yeah. Better. Yeah. Yeah. So in your, I mean, you have a lot going on with Adobe and stuff like that. Um, how do you, how do you take the time to like build out the next side hustle? Is that something they let you kind of work on at work a little bit and you spend all of your nights doing it? What's that look like for you? Uh, well, to be honest, first like we're recording this in the middle of the work day. So <laughs> um, I, I'm not super upfront about this. I just kind of carve the time out that I need. So if, yep. if somebody asked me to be a guest on a podcast, my answer is yes. And I carve that time out. And I hope at the end of the day, Adobe will be okay with this. <laughs> um, and, and I record uh, web dev weekly as well during work hours. And, you know, they, they never question me because at the end of the day, I think my output's high, my quality's high, my teamwork is high, communication is high. So I, I don't think it's a worry, uh, but uh, like you mentioned, it is a lot of time at night. So that's where I sit down and do my work. Uh, I have a wife, I have two kids, they're young kids. And so they're very hands-on. And once they go down at like seven thirty, eight o'clock, that's when I try to get stuff done. I usually spend, you know, hour or two with the wife working out, hanging out. And then it's like back to the, the, the man cave, the computer room, you know, it's a, to just either relax, but most of the time it's, trying to write some code, trying to learn something new, trying to do something. Uh, it, it's hard to keep, I would say, like a prioritized to-do list for side projects and side hustles because it's a lot of random stuff. You know, some days it's just updating readmes. Other days it's learning something new. Other days it's trying to build new features, but it's all over the map. And sometimes you don't have anything driving you to the next thing. And it does kind of come down to whatever you feel like doing or whatever you're motivated to do. So it is really hard to pick the next thing that's going to add the most value. Yeah, I think by doing all of the like side projects and things, companies like Adobe and companies that I've worked for, they just, they see that you're learning so much anyways, why prevent that? So they just look at it as kind of building a person out and making them more solid all around. So it's really good that way. I, I know I have kind of, moments of i'll call it ocd but when i get locked in on something like i will spend all night all day yeah. like that's all i'm thinking about uh, sort of thing so it's it's tough to break away for sure um on a side project but i, I think one thing to add in there like when you have that full-time day job too it's it's kind of 
easier to go chase a rabbit, if you will, on like, hey, I, the the wetpack stuff. Like, I want to go research this for a while and go take off and do it when you know, like, I'm not going to make money off this. And if if I'm like a someone like Wes Boss um, who just has his stuff going on, if they're just chasing rabbits and they're not like producing tutorials out the other side, or, or Scott, you know, if if he doesn't complete a tutorial every month, all of a sudden, like he's in trouble, right? So yep. there's a little bit of niceness to have a full-time day job, I think, as well doing it, but it can it can provide its own challenges for sure. Yeah, it goes up and down. Like like I said, it's been pretty busy at work. We had a big release coming up uh, June 22nd for Adobe Commerce. And, uh, you know, at night, I just haven't been in the big-time programming mode because my brain has been so focused uh, during the daytime, so I've resorted to video games a decent amount lately. So, what stack do you use at work? Ooh, um, it's a great stack. It's it's React, TypeScript, GraphQL. We got some Storybook thrown in there, um, and Webpack, like custom Webpack configs for build tools. Which I am advocating that we should switch over to Vite, Vite, however you pronounce it, because it <laughs> it, it really impressed me. I know. That's I think really that's cool. a big thing right now. How do we pronounce it? Is it V? Is it Vite? Kevin, you came out and said Vite, right? I, th- yeah, I, don't I thought know. it was Vite. It was the, the French word for fast. And so I think it's. No, I thought it was Vite. I did I too. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows. We just did a whole episode on it for Web Dev Weekly. Uh, it's it's going to come out in a few weeks. And we said. V. The whole time. The v, I said the whole V time. until Scott. And Wes did the syntax episode on it. And I swear he said in that episode that Evan Yu said that it was pronounced bite. And so now he's trying to switch saying to bite. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those words. Yep. I think one of these days we'll figure it out. Um, do you find like Adobe and maybe customers you're working with uh, are kind of uh, all in on the cloud at this point and microservices and all that fun stuff? Yes. Um okay. 100%. Like, it, I work in an interesting space in Adobe because I, I work on Adobe Commerce, which is formerly Magento. And if you're familiar yeah. with Magento, it's an e-commerce platform, but it's a PHP monolith. And so specifically, my team is doing a lot of like kind of groundbreaking work for Magento to take that front end and make it more software as a service. You want to inject product recommendations or a fancier search experience, we're going to give you like a JavaScript widget to do so. And so we have to find out like how to integrate with Magento's backend, but provide like a very separate front end. That's cool. And and so, yeah, all the APIs and things backing that are all microservices hosted on, you know, uh, AWS but then they still have to communicate to the Magento backend. So we're we're slowly moving towards a like a unified federated GraphQL server that speaks to all of our microservices that then talk to the Magento backend. Yeah, that's very cool. Magento was was always something we had to deal with or, or talk through when we're talking about. And so the, my previous company, we did uh, AEM um, and mm-hmm. then put all of that in. And then it was the next phase of... Do we go Magento? Do we not? And then they purchased it. It was like, oh my gosh, it yep. was all over the place. So. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're starting to make some of those integrations. Uh, they they purchased them about two years ago. So like 
now is about that time where we're starting to really um, collaborate. And I've gotten to do some cool projects that have been been cross-cutting between, you know, the old school Magento and the new school Adobe. Uh, things like feature flagging. I implemented a pretty cool like React library that'll do feature flagging for us that communicates with Adobe's like feature flagging system. Wow. I've always heard that's pretty extensive, so that's that's awesome. It, I mean, look, it's like Booleans as a service. That's essentially yeah. what feature flagging is, but uh, it enables you to do some really cool stuff. So I wanted to, I want to throw up your um, page real quick, just because I think you have all, all your good stuff on here, essentially. So you've got your your blog, and I, I think you might be talking about this. Maybe. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, your projects in here. So um, you've got this blog and then do you want to tell me what's dailytexascountry.com all about uh yeah daily texas country you, you can go to the website dailytexascountry.com um so i live in texas i love country music most of the time i'm wearing a cowboy hat and like i'm dancing on the weekends and stuff like two-stepping <laughs> i and, cannot uh, picture that <laughs> oh yeah totally yeah um i should post a video one day on facebook or twitter so that people can can see that my web dev friends can see, you know, but this is just a pure passion project. Uh, Every week I release a whiskey Wednesday video where I listen to a country song, drink whiskey and talk about it. And um, I built this website. It's a Gatsby website that just sources data from all over the place. You know, it's got local markdown files. uh, It's got YouTube videos. It's got Spotify playlists uh, and a little, little store, you know, that I just kind of outsourced to cotton bureau. So Nice. Was that yeah, it, difficult to uh, to get this set up, or is it just easy to click, 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 and you're in? Cotton Bureau is that one of those ship on demand places, but they actually have very high quality T-shirts, which I think that's the difference between them and something like Teespring. Teespring yep. doesn't seem to have um, as good of options, but Cotton Bureau I really, really love, and I buy my own products, you know. But it's as simple sure. as you know, uploading a PNG, and you're basically good to go. And then um, I know Brittany was dying to ask you about this Hue SDK and how you got involved with that. Yeah, so this all started, it all started when I tore my Achilles and uh, uh, was kind of stuck on the couch for like, like all of December and January, basically. And I had my laptop and I wanted to build, build out my like Twitch overlays a lot better and so what i did was i wrote this twitch chat bot that that could control my hue lights and i needed a better easier nicer way to access the uh, hue api and there was one sdk out there but i didn't love it like it didn't resonate with me even though it worked and i decided i'm just going to write my own and so this project was really my way of learning how to do open source properly like the code is a very small portion of open source. I, I I took I took the idea into this project that I'm gonna try to manage a community and help contributors and you know do all that. So I've got um Husky in there where it'll auto auto format your code on commit. It'll it'll support all contributors where if anybody contributes to the project, I can add them and you can see their faces in the README and it's got you know all these fancy badges and it's written with TypeScript and GitHub Actions, and it's, you know, automatically published to NPM. So 
lots of good stuff there and lots of like community management. Yeah, it's a great learning project for open source. That's yeah. really cool. Does James use that in his stream too? Yeah, I, I think I have a few people using the USDK now to back their uh, Twitch bots. He has like a Christmas lights command or something that you can turn on. His- <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. Um, use countdown. Is that another fun one to talk about? Yeah, that was that was like my my second major open source package that I tried to again go in all in on saying like this is going to be well maintained. Um, same thing. It was in support of my Twitch channel, and before I start, there's a countdown. Uh, screen and so i just made this react hook that would just deliver a countdown exactly how i wanted it to very cool lab man cli you know one of these days github is going to add this feature to their gh cli but they haven't yet so i'm very particular about my github issue labels and i love emojis and so i made this little tool that would essentially copy or clone labels from one repo to another. So I have a repo, oh, nice. uh, github.com slash Brad slash, I think it's called labels. And all it, all it is is like the housing for the labels that I like to use. And I use that as a base to clone those labels from that repo to labels. Yeah, there it is. Uh, from this repo over to other repos. So if you like try to create an issue and then add a label, Oops. Yeah, issues there. Yep. Oh, and you might not be able to see them. I don't know. If you click labels, I'm not sure if you're able to add them or not. Yeah, that's like a me thing, I guess. Yeah, cool. Anyways, yeah, I've got special labels with colors and emojis and stuff. Oh, that's neat. And I think we uh, we touched on Murphy. So lots of lots of fun projects you have floating around out there, and then of course your uh, Web Dev Weekly. So pretty much. If you go to bradgarrapy.com, which jealous that you can have that domain name, <laughs> uh, you can you can hook up everything that you're uh, talking about these days. It looks like yep. I have yeah. mine's dot com too. <laughs> yeah, that? I did a I did a rebrand recently, or like just like a, a rehaul on the homepage here because it didn't say what I did or, or post my stuff, and so this now feels a lot better. Like these are the things that I do. That Whiskey Wednesday back on your daily Texas country, you do that with GitHub Actions, right? I heard you talking about that on Web Dev Weekly. How do you how does that flow work with GitHub Actions? You do a lot with that, right? Yeah. So um Daily Texas Country just started as a Spotify playlist with like twelve hundred songs. And then I wanted to make a Twitter bot that posted one song every day from that playlist, like a random song. And so I have all these actions in here that will like do my daily song tweet or do my weekly tweet of the playlist itself. I essentially just use the scheduled actions to just make cron jobs that do whatever I need it to do. They just call Netlify functions that'll interact with Twitter and Spotify APIs and uh, post what I need to post. Cool. That's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I found Uh, that GitHub actions out of all the CI CD tools that I've ever used is just so well integrated with your source code it lives right right next to it and so easy to just do anything even if you just need a cron job just use a github action it's free yeah i like how um 
uh, I'll call it cheap, I guess, <laughs> how, how easily you can run these things too. Yeah. Like you never run up on build time requirements and stuff like that. No. So or great. even even if you're, let's say you're starting to get your Netlify build minutes, you know, yeah. kind of full, just offload your build process to GitHub Actions exactly. and then use the Netlify CLI to publish and boom, you just save yourself having to buy a Netlify account. Yep, Netlify is probably happy too because it eases off their servers. So. Yep. Cool. Well, unless you have anything else specifically on your side projects. Man, no, we, we covered a lot, honestly. I, I do also stream over on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Brad Like I said, things have been hectic at work, so I haven't been streaming too much, but I'm planning on getting back into it. Nice. Awesome. So I think it's time for perfect picks. Yes. Brad, we'll let you go first. Yeah, so... I think you just put a review up for this, too. I did, yeah. I wrote a, wrote a blog post about this. I, With all the money I earned from my side projects, I actually took it and cashed it in, and I got this thing, this Go XLR. Um, it's, it's an audio mixer, and it's done through hardware instead of software. So I'm on Windows, and... The best thing we had was this thing called the voice meter to manage a bunch of different audio channels and levels. And not it, a fan it, of voice meter. It's it so really confusing. sucks. Yeah, it's not very good. It, a lot of times there's like crackling and things that happen to the virtual audio channels. So I said I need to I need to do this in hardware. And so this Go XLR was exactly what I needed. I've got these nice faders on the side. I can even do weird things with my voice, like turn it into a megaphone or a, like a robot and be really weird that is super cool for streaming yeah and so like they're just you have a sure mic looks like we have the same one yeah this is the sm 58 58 yep that's what i have too yep and it sounds great i i had the a whole audio processor and all these different things but i replaced it all with the go xlr and oh, nice it, it sounds I have a Scarlet Solo, and that's all I have mine hooked into right now. But yep, yep, pretty good. Yeah, this Go XLR replaced like two or three pieces of hardware, which was just awesome. Wow. I, I previously had that Scarlet Solo as the interface, and a couple other things in the chain, and this just does it all. So yeah. cool, and it it integrates with the Stream Deck, where when you when you press a button to change scenes in OBS or whatever, you can change the profile on your Go XLR. So, for instance, if I get up to use the restroom or something. I press one button and the Go XLR shuts off my mic and does all that kind of stuff. Oh, nice. I miss having my stream deck. I hope they support the Mac M1 finally. Oh, or the man. Apple hardware. So I had I, to send one back. So choppy. How can I handle it? I'll have to look into that. That's a good, good reminder. Brittany, I think you're up next. And forgive us. I think Brittany's having some internet issues. So yeah, I'm having some connection. Up, issues today so we'll see if i can get through this but i've been diving into using hsl colors and una kravitz who does the css podcast and i don't know she's on a couple different podcasts she works at uh is it chrome on the chrome developer team for the dev tools yeah and she has this blog post and it's got basically everything you need to know about using css variables with hsl and you can set your variables and then in each scope you can change them so with by changing one thing it changes another level so you can like change the colors there and it updates all of them 
That's cool. It, I love that. It's like, really cool. And it's super powerful. And I want to kind of dive in. And I know we use Tailwind a lot. I kind of want to like start making my own design system. So I like keep learning these little bits and pieces here and there and getting there. Like I bet you could use like one CSS variable to set like a primary color where all the other colors are calculated off of it. That could be so cool. That's what I, that's what this post does. But uh, I also want to be able to change like the alpha value. So when I hover, I want to be able to make it a different, like, I don't know, darker or lighter, and mm -hmm. then have the alpha value when you do something else change. So just changing in an individual value within the HSLA would be awesome. Yeah, this is so cool. Yeah, I'm really bad at this stuff, so it's always great to, like, find a little page like this. So and it's point. super complicated and mathy, too. So it's, it's <laughs> complex, but it's really cool if you can get it working. Yeah. Awesome. Your second pick? My second pick is Startup. Uh, I don't know. I'd never heard about this show, and it's all on Netflix now. There's three seasons there, and I think it ended in, like, 2018, but it was a pretty good show. It's not like Silicon Valley. It's more the business side of, like, startups and the enterprise stuff, but it was a pretty good watch, so suggest I, I burned through, like, the first season once it Did released you? on Netflix. I really liked it. Yeah. Is it very like software based or? It's really not software based at all. Like she's okay. the coder and she does the coding, but they don't show a lot of the coding and it's right. not really that side of it. Like Silicon Valley was more kind of the tech nerdy side, but this is really more about like business. They're business people and they go out and they like have to like finagle like these deals and things. It's like, it's like, it's like a whole... for the startup industry. <laughs> There's, there's like a whole social aspect to it, too, because you have a person that's kind of in like the Haitian gang area. Yeah. And then you have her who maybe more middle class and then she's a coder. But then you have Brody, who is like upper class, but his dad has issues. So it's yeah. it's, it's kind of all over the place. But it, it is really cool how they, they make it happen no matter what. So. Mm -hmm. I loved it. <laughs> I gotta finish it. Um, my first pick, I just finally decided I love my green screen, even though it's not behind me right now. I'm like, uh, you got your your stuff behind you. I don't know, like logos behind you. Yeah, my logos are still there because they're sticker mule stickers on the wall. Um, unfortunately, though, we're we're packing to move, so I don't even have my backlights or anything right now. <laughs> but I had to pick this green screen because I really like it, and it's been easy to use, and I'm hoping at the new house my lighting will actually – I won't have to edit as much in Premiere Pro um, all the time when I'm doing that stuff. So I threw that out there. I thought that would be a fun pick. I um, got to ask, you think yeah. the green screen is worth it? I kind of like having the vibe of the room around me. You know, yeah, so but... I, think, I think for like the podcasts and like videos and stuff like that, um, I don't because I, I agree. I like people being able to see kind of into the room and stuff like that. But so some of the videos I'm doing like an AWS one where I'm like picking stuff up like a, a whatever amplify logo and I'm shaking it. And for oh, that, yeah. I kind of need green screen for it. So for like the thumbnails, basically. Yeah, I thought yeah. you might yeah. be throwing that up there as shade to me because I did the cheapo like green screen behind me. No, but that's funny if you want to talk about it. <laughs> there's there's a danger. Talk about in, it. Uh, yeah. 
there's there's a danger with cheap green screens. If you ever notice, like right above Brittany's head, there's a little shiny piece of tape. So okay, there it is. What do you say? It's, <laughs> it's so tough. I, just, I made my light. I made my light there. really bright. You can see it. So I I did poster board and taped it with clear tape, but the tape is shiny and reflective. So the tape hits the lights and it <laughs> doesn't go green anymore. <laughs> My, uh, my my second pick, um, which these people use better green screens than we do, uh, <laughs> the Nevers. Uh, this has been just a fantastic watch for me. So it's it's a little bit of fantasy mixed with kind of uh, like yeah Victorian London essentially, and it's been really really good. I think I am two episodes behind of what's released, so. Um, I'm kind of eager to see where it, where it goes, but I love the writing. I love like all the cinematography in this one. So if you happen to have HBO or you want to do HBO max for like a month for $15 or whatever it is, check this That's one out. That's what I was going to say. I haven't had HBO since I think since the last season of Westworld came out, but I might need to oh, yeah. do it again. Yeah. It's so cool now that like with streaming so popular, you don't have to get locked into a package. So yeah, you, that is awesome. You find something for like this, you can burn through it in a month or whatever. I just signed up for HBO max like two days ago and it like opened a whole door of like new stuff to watch. So yeah. dangerous. Yeah. I I'm just catching up on Rick and Morty and then I'll find the next yeah. one. I feel like I'm getting close to the end of Netflix. So I may need to like branch out. Again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We just finished Lucifer today oh yeah i need to finish that i'm on, so on the first of the new new episodes where they sit down to dinner <laughs> be prepared to ball I, well i don't know if you're like, i'm sensitive but <laughs> <laughs> last two awesome. episodes well brad thanks so much for for coming on and sitting down with us chat about kind of side projects and side projects you have going on i think it's always encouraging for people getting into it just to hear different stories and how people are doing things so really appreciate it hey thank y'all for having me i had a great time i appreciate we'll it thank have, you for coming we'll have to have you on again after you're uh, a little further in your journey sounds good hopefully awesome. everybody could hear me <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks y'all all right see you later bye